Now I invite you to take a Bible to open it to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 13. We're going to read from verses 44 to 46. We're reading again two parables. Both are very brief, but they go together, and there's good reason for looking at them at the exact same time. If you're using a Bible provided for you, you'll find this on page 769. And just by way of a reminder for many of us, we're going through the parables in the Gospel of Matthew uh, because there are several of them. It, it, what it happened in the cr- series of Christ's life is that as he was teaching and doing miracles and people were hearing about him and his message, many people were drawn to him and were coming to him and the crowds were growing, but also people started coming who were listening in with a desire to trap him, with a desire to catch him saying something wrong so that they could get him in trouble. And they didn't want him to keep being successful. They didn't want his message or popularity to grow. And so there is this sort of shift in the strategy of Jesus that he started teaching primarily by telling stories, that those who were really hungry for the truth and wanting to know more would get it by hearing these stories, and those who had just already tuned out and they weren't open to anything he had to say, maybe if they just heard it a different way, it would awaken their conscience. But for those who were just dead set against him and already making plans to punish him, he wouldn't give them, if you will, more fuel for the fire because his time had not yet come. And so these series of parables, specifically in this chapter, are happening while he is up by the Sea of Galilee and in the hometown of Peter. Uh, it started at Peter's house, and then he's, the crowds kind of gathered up so much that he went out and was on a boat in the sea, and everyone was standing on the shore as he was teaching them specifically the parables that are here in chapter 13. Our series is going to go through the rest of the parables in the whole gospel, but we're still in chapter 13. So here are the two new ones for us in Matthew 13. Verse 44. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then, in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. Those are the two parables that we have for this morning. They're different stories. The first one doesn't have a sense of intentionality on it. The person in the field finds the treasure, but it doesn't say that he was looking for it. Someone else had placed it there. It was buried, and it could have, for all we know, just been an ordinary day of work for this individual working the fields and more wanting to plant new crops and in digging discovers the treasure and then realizes this is not an ordinary day. This is a really, really good day. But we have no sense that he started the day with a desire to find the treasure and so reburies it until he can purchase the property. The second story is someone who's looking for pearls. They're a merchant. This is actually their job. But again, they find even more of what they're looking for. 
And so the first, we're not really sure how or why they come upon it. And the second one, they're, they're doing their job. This is what they're looking for. They just, they struck gold or pearls. <laughs> they, they really found the big one. But the value of what is found isn't dependent upon how their day started out or what their own background is. Like the treasure speaks for itself. And it reveals in both of these stories to us a truth that is reaffirmed all through Scripture that we all live according to what we love. We all live according to what we love. This is not the first time in Matthew's Gospel that Jesus has talked about treasure to make a point. In the Sermon on the Mount, as he was teaching there, he encouraged all of the listeners in that sermon to place their treasure in heaven and not on earth, on earth where things could come and it could decay and be taken away. He said, instead, put it in heaven. And as he encouraged that toward the listeners, he said to them, because where your treasure is, your heart will be also. In other words, wherever you place your treasure, your heart, which in the first century is not, don't think Valentine's Day, uh, and just a sense of emotion. It includes emotion, but it's your heart and your action and all of your activity is going to flow to what you place your treasure in. So if your treasure is in heaven, then you're gonna, it's going to be visible in your whole life, not just in what you say you like or desire, but it'll be evident in how you do things. But if you really want something, you're going to go after it. When you really love something, you're willing to live to get it. And that's true of all of us. It's not just true of us if we're believers in Jesus or not. All of us live according to what we love. And so uh, if you're right now in school and what you love the most is the approval of your friends, then you're going to live accordingly. You're going to dress like they think you should dress. You're going to talk like they think you should talk. You're going to do whatever it is. You're going to live in such a way that you get what you want the most, which is the sense of belonging and approval of your friends. If you're already in a career and what you really want is prestige or advancement or promotion, you're going to live and work hard and do extra hours or be really nice to your boss to get what you want which are credentials or an award or praise. This is true about all of us as human beings. We live our lives to get the things that we love. So the challenge of Scripture is, what do you love? And actually, what do you love the most? Because in both of these stories, it just makes sense. Whether, however your day started, if you find treasure that you would then go and do whatever you needed to do in order to acquire it. Or if you're searching for pearls and you find one of the ones of great value, of course you would then go sell what you had. There's just a simplicity to both stories. If it's really treasure, you really found something that valuable that you would then do uh, whatever you needed to do to take possession of it. That just makes sense. That if we love something and we value it, we treasure it, we, we, we give it a sense of glory and honor, well, if the opportunity is ours to get it, 
then we go and get it. Last Sunday morning, I read in the Beacon Journal of a, a Barber and City employee had won a, a big winnings in the lottery. I was like, oh, I know someone who works for the city of Barberton. So I texted John Gibbs and said, hey, well, I read the story and it wasn't him, but it wouldn't release the name of who it was. But I'm like, I'm pretty sure it's not you because it didn't say the police department. It said a different department. And then when you read it, he's like, oh, yeah, wouldn't that have been a good day? And I'm like, I was already planning where we might go on vacation if you would have been the winner of it. Yes, it would have been a great day. I, I had plans for you if, if that would have been the case. And it just makes sense that if, if we could get what we desire, that we'd be willing to. If we knew it was really true, where our treasure is, is where our heart really belongs. And so Jesus is saying, the kingdom of heaven is, is this treasure. Having a relationship with God and being invited into this kingdom should be something that we value most. And if we do, we'll do the things we need to do to get in. If we don't value it, no one can make us pursue it. But if we come to really value it and see it for what it is, then our life and our actions and our emotions and our will, all of that will follow. One of the ways that I conceptualize it, you can think of repentance in this same way. Uh, I've done this before, but repentance is not just feeling sorry about something. Uh, so if you realize that you're going this direction and at some point you realize this is the wrong direction. Repentance is not simply stopping. It's possible to stop and realize I'm going the wrong direction. It's even possible in realizing that you're going the wrong direction to feel really bad about it. But if that's where you stop, you're no better off. Biblically, repentance is not simply stopping or simply feeling bad about where you are. It's if all of those things are true, then why don't you turn around and go in the right direction? So it includes your mind, it includes your heart, but it's also visible by your actions. That's what repentance is. It's turning. And everything else in your life shows that this is what you really want. For so many people, when it comes to their own personal finances and there's things that they want and they say they can't have, uh, it is amazing how many people, if they really want it, can get their hands on an iPhone. <laughs> or if they really want it, can get a pair of shoes that they want. Like, if you want it, if you love it, you'll go for it. You'll figure it out. You'll talk to who, you'll knock on whatever doors you need to knock on. You'll talk to who you need to talk to if you love it enough. And Jesus in these stories saying, the kingdom of heaven is this amazing and wonderful reality that if you learn to love it you will live according to that if you don't he's not making anyone join this kingdom he's not beating up the Pharisees and the Sadducees over the head saying you have to he's just holding out this truth to them what is it then that you love more that makes you not want this what have you given yourself to that is keeping you from this and so the issue with Jesus' audience in this day is not, well, there's some smart people and there's some people who aren't so smart. No, it's actually, for most of the crowd, the more educated people who are the less likely to receive them. 
they want to keep their sense of status and privilege. They want Jerusalem to be intact. They don't want anyone to say anything negative about the temple. And he's saying some harsh things about the temple, and he's challenging them. He's up in Galilee. He's not making anyone sound like Jerusalem is really the center of where all the action's going to happen. And so they don't believe in him, not because they can't, but because they won't. They don't want to hear what he has to say. And so they don't believe in him. And other people who've studied the scriptures much less than them, who don't have the same family background and all the pedigree that you would expect to receive the Messiah, but if in their hearts they sincerely desire it and want it more than anything, wow, they're receiving it. They're entering the kingdom because they see it for the treasure that it is. And they're willing to give up whatever they have to give up in order to get it. So the next thing we see in this, though, is that when we love God most, we learn to truly live. So if first we live according to what we love, in these two stories, it's making clear that when we love God most, we learn to truly live. Both of the main actors in the story, the man in the field and the merchant, though they continue on and they complete a transaction to get what they're going to get, both of them know they're not losing anything. If you were to interview them on the way to their, their purchase and say, why are you going to spend this much money on this field? Why are you going to give up everything so that you can get this pearl? They both understand that they're not losing anything. When this field becomes theirs or this pearl becomes theirs, they have more than they ever had before. And they both get that. And so as Jesus talked about treasure in previous parts of the gospel, he also said this about the kingdom at the end of Matthew 6. When we seek first the kingdom of God, when it's primary, when it's what we treasure the most, he doesn't just say you'll get it. He says when you seek it, everything else will be added unto you. Wait a minute. What does that mean? when we love him the most and treasure the kingdom the most, all those other things will be added to us. Well, I mean, at that moment, Jesus was talking about a number of things, uh, but in beginning of verse 30 of chapter 6, if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all those things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. He's saying, I know you have needs. I'm not asking you to seek the kingdom to any point of harm to yourself. What I'm telling you is that if you seek me the most and you treasure me the most, you will then know how to really live with all those other things that you actually do need. We need food. We need water. We need shelter. We need friends. We need community. All of those are gifts of God. Those aren't bad things. But what Jesus is saying is if we put him first, he teaches us how to love all those things the right way. 
But if we put those things first, and we love food the most, or we love friendship the most, or whatever it is, they become consuming things to us that actually do affect our ability to enjoy everything else. They either become idolatry or addictions in our lives. But he's saying, if you learn to love me the most and you treasure the kingdom the most, you don't lose anything. You gain more friends than you ever thought you would have. And you actually have real relationships with people instead of superficial ones. Instead of now, I have to dress the way they say I should dress and I have to talk like they say I should talk in order to be included. I value the kingdom most. I want to follow him the most. And so I can be their friend however they dress, however they talk. And how I can freely love them because I'm not valuing them above all things. You're free to work in such a way that if now you're in conflict with your boss, but your main purpose in life is not simply promotion and accolades, when you have to actually stand up and say, I don't think we're doing the right thing, you'll feel the freedom to do that. It might mean you lose a job. It might mean you have conflict. It might mean you get passed over the next time a promotion happens. But you'll know who you are. You'll know that you didn't cheat or that you didn't give in or that you didn't compromise. And even if they don't receive it, you are the best worker that they absolutely need. Because when people are willing to cut corners and cheat, it works for a while until everyone finds out. In the news, I'm just a fan of sports, so what's coming to my mind is the Houston Astros. But there was a period of time where to be a good employee was to make sure no one knew. And if there was someone who was saying, guys, this isn't a good idea, we shouldn't be doing this. It's going to get caught. Everything is videoed. Nothing stays secret forever. Well, in the moment, that person would not have been thought of as a great person, a team player. But it would absolutely have been the voice that everyone should have been listening to. And we see that played out over and over again. When we love God the most, we can truly live the way that we were supposed to live, with integrity, with compassion, with mercy, the way the fruits of the Spirit are described with love and joy and peace and patience and all of those things. And even at times when other people don't want it or want to receive it, it is what the world needs. We need men and women who care about the Lord the most so that when they are tempted to cheat or tempted to break their promises in marriage or tempted to neglect their kids, we need all of those people to love God more than they love their selfish and immediate desires. And we need to be those people that model that for the world so that other people can say, it is really possible to live another way. But both the man in the field and the merchant know that when they find this treasure, this value, when they can secure it, they lose nothing in the transaction. They only gain by acquiring it. That's where the quote on the back of your handout comes from Jim Elliott. When he was talking about for him being willing to go to a very, very dangerous part of the world, potentially to even lose his life at the cost of reaching a people that were known to be a violent tribe, 
This is just something that he had in his own notes. He wrote down, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. There, Jim's talking about his own life. He's like, I'm not a fool if I give up what I can't keep anyway to gain to gain the kingdom, to gain a real relationship with the living God that no one would ever be able to take away from me, that I could never lose. And then lastly, as the parable, uh, as the gospel continues and Jesus tells more parables, he also lives this out in his own way. And so we see from Jesus' own life and sacrifice the beauty and the depth of his love that compels us to love. See, we can hear this story rightly as a challenge to us to consider whether we really value and treasure the kingdom of heaven the most and if our lives reflect it. But then when we also follow the life and death of Jesus, we realize he lives this out in the best way. He came into this world when he didn't have to. He found men and women that the world said aren't worth your time or effort, but valued them enough and us enough that he was willing to then go and make a sacrifice in order to redeem it. And the word redeem means to buy it back, to repossess it, to take ownership over it again. So he, more than anyone, is saying, I'm willing in finding treasure which is men and women, young and old, lepers that are cast out, people that are religious, to all of them to say, I value you enough that I'm willing to redeem you. At what cost? How much are you willing to pay? At the cost of my life. Your what? my life yes that's what he was willing to do and so in Hebrews chapter 12 we get this description by the author of the letter to the Hebrews that just borrows the language from these parables to say not that Jesus begrudgingly went to the cross or that anyone made him go yes we know what happened in the garden of Gethsemane but it's also possible that we can say in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Who for the joy set before him, like the man who finds the treasure in the field. He's ready to go close a deal. I mean, he's excited. The merchant who finds the pearl is ready to make a deal because they know what they get in return. Christ, who for the joy set before him, that in the sacrifice he would give upon the cross, would expand the kingdom to include young and old, male and female, Jew and Gentile, religious outcasts and religious snobs all together it made him willing 
to do what he did. And we see the depth of his love by the sacrifice that he gave. And so it's Jesus' life and sacrifice that compels us to love when we really come to understand and we treasure the gospel, it compels us to love people. This is a song that's uh, actually written as a lullaby from one of my favorite musicians, Andrew Peterson. And so it's just from the perspective of God speaking over his children. He says, I love you today and I love you tomorrow. I love you as deep as the sea. I love you in joy and I love you in sorrow. You can always come home to me. There once was a man who found him a treasure buried out under a tree. He sold all that he had to own it forever. The treasure is you, you see. I love you today. I love you tomorrow. I love you as deep as the sea. I love you in joy and I love you in sorrow. You can always come home to me. There once were some sheep safe on the farm, and one little lamb got loose. The shepherd went out and carried it home. That little lamb is you. I love you today, and I love you tomorrow. I love you as deep as the sea. I love you in joy, and I love you in sorrow. You can always come home to me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for how amazing your love is for us. That you would be willing to make a sacrifice to redeem us. That you would enjoy come and teach and heal and give and feed but then also sacrifice and die, be buried to be rediscovered again in your resurrection power. We thank you for that. We pray that you would challenge our own hearts to consider what it is that we love the most and that we would trust you that if we put you first, if we seek your kingdom, that you will really give us everything we need to live and to love the way that you created us to. Father, please continue to remove whatever reasons we come up with to not pursue you passionately with all that we have. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.